0: Hey there, and welcome to Bustin' Out of Breast Cancer, the show that has us straight talking about surviving and thriving breast cancer using the smile method. I am Shannon Burrows, your host for the show, breast cancer survivor, women's empowerment life coach, business strategist, and also breast cancer recovery coach. I like to say I found my purpose at the intersection of passion and pain. As a fitness professional who specializes in cancer exercise, I became the person I couldn't find while navigating my own journey. I help women smile in the face of adversity, including breast cancer, to disengage from their limiting beliefs and start living their lifestyle by design and becoming the best version of themselves. On the show, we share survivor stories and talk about thriving in life and not just surviving in life. Welcome back to the show. This month is still National Cancer Survivors Month. And today we have the pleasure of talking with the beautiful Teresa Alish. She is a breast cancer survivor, author, mentor, writing strategist, and the founder of Life After Cancer Movement. Woohoo! Look at you big time overachiever. <laughs> What's All <up>? right. <laughs> Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. We should tell the listeners how we met. We should. Okay. You want to go? Or do you want me to go? You. Okay. Well, you may <laughs> have heard me talking about this platform called Clubhouse. So we we actually met on Clubhouse and we are breast cancer survivors. And we were actually in a breast cancer survivor thriver room. And we just kind of had this connection that was just like, we both have the same mission of being able to advocate for women actually just kind of like, you know, take control of their life really like after cancer, before cancer and all of that in between. And you have such an amazing story, Teresa. So I'm super glad that you're here and I'm really glad that we connected and so many amazing things have come out of clubhouse. Like what I, I haven't even told the listeners about what our latest thing that we came up with, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Perfect. But uh, yeah, first and foremost, I just want you to introduce yourself and tell us, tell us about your story. It's a fabulous story and I think everybody needs to hear it.
1: Oh, thank you. So yes, my name is Teresa Alish and I'm so excited to be here with you Shannon and I I thought you'd never ask. (laughs) What? Seriously? I'm joking. (laughs) No, no, no. Okay. Um, But no, I am currently actually in the midst of a big pivot in life and for the past 16 years I've been in education. So I've been a high school English teacher. I coached varsity volleyball and varsity track. I was also our tech director for a while. And then I became our principal. I like to tell people that I had a problem with authority or have a problem with authority. So I became it. Um, so next thing you know, I'm <laughs> I can gonna relate be- to that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I, I'll be a police officer next um, in my next uh, <laughs> my next 30 years. And anyway, I... Am now making a pivot into just some passion areas for my life. Um, one is in the the realm of what I call life after cancer. You, you mentioned the movement. Um, I'm the founder of the Life After Cancer Blueprint, as well. And I basically in this in this land of life after cancer, I have a belief, and that is that. Uh, we can take control of our circumstances. Yes, there are some things that that might be out of reach for us, but for the most part, I believe that um, when cancer or whatever it is, you can replace cancer with whatever obstacle or hurdle or circumstance you're facing in life. You can take back the pen that 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 um, that cancer took from you and you can start writing your next chapter. So let me say that first. Um, but in life after cancer, because I've been there in this way, not all survivors face it the same way. Right. For me, I really struggled with things like fatigue, chemo, brain, overwhelm stress, um, just even cognitive, um, what I called at the time, cognitive decline. Uh, and as a life after cancer warrior, Uh, I found little ways to take control and to overcome those circumstances and to really start making a shift in my mindset, in my sleep habits, my fitness habits, nutrition habits, which is all in the area that you live in. I mean, you are a warrior yourself and helping other people to overcome too. And I think that's one of the reasons that we clicked when we first met. We just have um, a similar belief about um, being able to overcome our circumstances. And with that, there's a quote I like to mention every, whenever I'm talking about this. And it's by Stuart Scott. You beat cancer by how you live, why you live and the way in which you live. And I think um, for me, that's huge. And when when you started talking about your smile method, I was like, oh my gosh, that's the epitome of this quote. I mean, we can walk through life straight faced, um, focused on, on what's wrong, or we can walk through life with a smile, focusing on how to make it right. And, Mm -hmm. you know, solutions versus problems. You you have problems, but you're, if you're solution oriented, you're on your way. And I completely circumvented your question of tell me about yourself. I went straight into (laughs) telling you what I believe, um, So do you want me to go back and say anything about actually where I was talking about the pivot? Whenever I talk about pivot, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm starting a movement. And that is to help survivors after cancer.
0: Yeah. And that's, what's really big on your heart right now. So that's exactly what you're (laughs) meant to talk about right now. There is no, that's what I love about my podcast is that I don't do structure. I'm not like, okay. You know, people always say, oh, do you have questions you want me to you know, answer? I'm like, you like I did. Yeah. Everyone does. You know, and especially people, like I've interviewed a lot of people, it's like their first time doing a podcast. Um, And they're like, you you know, are you going to send me questions? I'm like, no, we're just going to have a conversation, like real talk. That's why I always say my podcast is straight talk about, busting, you know, bust out of breast cancer, because I want people to just talk naturally. I I want them to boom, bust out of breast cancer (laughs) and become the best version of themselves. Right. (laughs) And yes, I want to, um, I want you to tell your story, but I also love that, um, we, we are very similar. Like, I remember like, you know, listening to each other talk, like in our clubhouse rooms and some people literally could look at us and be like, well, they do the same thing. Like, why, like, aren't they in competition with one another? Whereas in me, I'm like, oh my God, there's somebody else that's just like me. Like she'll totally understand and relate, right? Like there's so many different, it's just a matter of how you see things Mm -hmm. and, and how you want to embrace that. And like, if our mission is to help with life after cancer or changing the world one while at a time like whatever that is like it's so much better when you do it together mm-hmm. it's always better when we're together jack johnson every time i say that i always want to play that song in the background but really like truly it is and we'll share that a little bit later on with um with our listeners as to how that all came about but um yes i'm super excited that our our, our missions and our lives have collided like i'm all about like my world colliding and just being like, oh my God, yeah. like a kumbaya kind of thing. I know it probably sounds corny, but yeah. anyway, your story needs to be heard. And yes. not only is it heard in a book, it needs to be heard right here, right now. So when were you diagnosed?
1: All right. I was diagnosed in 2011, March of 2011, actually, well, February, March is when I started my um, treatment and um, I ended up having an aggressive stage 3 C-C breast cancer, which basically means that, well, in my reports, uh, the oncologist had written, which I didn't discover until like five years later, six years when I started researching and writing my book, but she had written her breast was essentially her right breast was essentially replaced by cancer. Um, and then my lymph nodes were, were, they weren't completely full, but they were over half full, the ones that they extracted. Um, and so basically it was, you know, it was on the move and we caught it just in time. And because there was so much, the tumors were huge and they were just, there were lots of little clusters all the way, all throughout. They started with chemotherapy to shrink um, as much as they could to make surgery a more, you know, the, uh, successful. yeah, successful. And so I started with, I, I called it the red devil, um, of, of chemo. Actually it's called that. And I think it is
0: <laughs> Anyway, yeah. it was red,
1: thick, red stuff going into my body. And, um, I still, I can still almost feel that s- sick feeling when I sat down in that chair and saw the, the, the little bag that they brought out and hung up. Um, but anyway, I had, um, I, I basically was doing chemotherapy through most of the summer. I think I was done in August, which they gave me a break as we geared up for surgery in September. And I had a double mastectomy. During my double mastectomy, my dad um, was in the same hospital and he was just a few floors up or down, whichever it was, I can't remember. Uh, He was receiving his diagnosis. And so when I woke up, um, I'll never forget wanting to know what what we found out about dad. And it turned out that he had stage four non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And so um, that was a little tough to swallow. Actually, I think I took that harder than my own. I mean, I, I I was kind of of that mindset that I didn't want anyone else to go through it. I felt like I could do it, you know, like I didn't want anybody else to go through that. So here we had dad now in his fight and it didn't look good. Uh, Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma in the bone, you know, the bone marrow. And he had to go through all the stuff he had to go through after my surgery, we went through the process. I don't know if anybody's ever talked to you about this on your podcast or just in general, but I had implants put in, um, and we had to go through the process of expanding because Mm -hmm. we, we, I started out with expanders right in that double mastectomy. That's what they, I came out with expanders
0: in that was the reconstruction process. Mm -hmm. They're horrible. They suck. (laughs) <laughs>
1: it was awful. And every time they would, um, we would go for them to put more fill. Fluid, fluid in. Yeah. Fill them. I would like, it, have you ever had the wind knocked out of you before?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You remember that feeling? So it would like jolt, like, it's like my body, my body couldn't handle it. It pulled my, my muscles in my back. And it would knock the wind out of me. I couldn't even hardly walk out of there. Um, Sometimes my husband and my uncle or my dad, whoever was with me at the time, they would walk me out, basically keeping me upright. And there was even one that was so bad. I had to go to the chiropractor a few times. I was like, I just need some form of relief. And that was the only thing we could think of. Um, So that was an awful time. I almost forgot about that. It's been a long time since I thought about that. And then I had radiation after that.
0: So and did you go, th- wait, did you have radiation while you had expanders in or when you were done filling?
1: When we were done filling. Yeah. They took a month to fill, um, so that the radiation wouldn't, um, hopefully it wasn't guaranteed, but interfere and cause something to go wrong. Cause this whole area up here kind of near my armpit and throughout that is where it was really aimed. Um, but it was okay. Everything, everything turned out all right there. <clears throat> And then we're at about Christmas time when I ended, completed radiation. When I rang that bell, as they say, um, I'll never forget that feeling. And it's something I talk about, and I talk about it carefully because for some it is such a feeling of accomplishment, pride. You know, you're you're victorious in that moment. That I'm done. I completed it. But for me, when I walked out of there, I walked out of there with this sense of vulnerability. Avoid. I was afraid uh, because I knew at that point in time I wouldn't be seeing my doctors every other day. And I was worried there was that fear of recurrence or is it still there? Do they really know? You know, let's do another scan. We better check. All those feelings flooded into me when I walked out. I'll never forget it. Um, And then a few weeks later, Christmas time, I was in a ton of pain. My stomach, my abdomen, Um, just think kind of ladies, your worst period and, um, you feel bloated. I felt that times 25 and we went in after Christmas to see my oncologist again. Like, Hey, I I mean, I could hardly walk. I was just, it it was, I was in so much pain in my abdomen and she kind of gave me, I I had this horrible feeling because she basically turned me over to, um, a gynecological, oncologist. And I I felt in that moment that she had written me off, like, I, there's nothing I can do for you. It was very scary. And when I saw him, he's like, I need you to figure things out at work. We need you back, you know, within the next week or so. And we need to go inside and, and check this out. Turned out I had tumors. One, I mean, the viewers can't see it, but it's the size of a large grapefruit in one ovary. In the other ovary, it was the size of, um, a giant egg and, um, and my uterus was swollen. Anyway, before I had gone into surgery, I had to kind of sign off that if they found anything that was beyond abnormal, abnormal and suspicious for possible mutation, they were going to take it all. And when I woke up, that's what had happened. Um, they had taken it all. And, uh, I had sort of prepared myself for it, but once it had occurred, it really hit me that I couldn't have more kids if, if I wanted to biological. Um, let me add though. I was very blessed. My, I had a, a, a little girl and, uh, she was born. Um, well, she was three when I was diagnosed or no, she might've been four and I had had a whoopsie baby. Um, <laughs> Basically unplanned at the time. I mean, it he would have been coming anyway, but he had decided to make his interest entrance a year before my cancer diagnosis, um and so we had we had a girl and a boy. We were so blessed. Um, and as a matter of fact, I had finished breastfeeding him. That's what led to me discovering that I had something going on because the the milk, like I felt like there were calcifications, is what I thought. And I continued to watch them. I continued to feel for them and I put it off because we were busy at the time. I thought, I don't have time for cancer (laughs) or whatever this is. I don't have time for it. And I waited almost five months, six months. And so had I gone in ladies and checked it out when I first had that concern, my story would be very different from what it turned out to be um, because I ended up with an aggressive advanced stage cancer. Um, So bringing me back to that lovely moment where I was 32 years old and I had menopause all at once, it, it wasn't gradual. Like we are supposed to experience as women for those of us that do, I woke up, I think probably had my first hot flash within about a few hours. I have no idea. I mean, I would have been on some pain medication, but, um, and from that point forward, I was having hot flashes four times an hour they were drenching my my clothes to the point of i would bring a couple changes of clothes to work when i went back to work um i became so self-conscious of of like if i were presenting and all of a sudden i was dripping it was just this horrible feeling at the time however um i'm here today and and i've figured out how to cope with hot flashes how to kind of control them to an extent um but yeah, that's kind of my my breast cancer journey and and leading me back to complete that full year. I did have another little hiccup um right around the time of my diagnosis. We lost someone very, very special to us, and that was kind of probably harder on me than the cancer. And um, we've all experienced you know some form of loss. And I lost beloved uncle, my uncle Joe. We used to call him Crayola Joe, um, because when I was little or younger, he would put an awful picture of me in the paper on my birthday and write, you know, happy birthday something. He always had something he called me. And then he would put guess who. So then it became a war. Well, I found a picture of him when he was a kid and he was in his coveralls and he had he had crayons in in the top <laughs> up there. So I named him Crayola Joe. And so I would put in the paper every year after that that picture and say happy birthday Crayola Joe guess who
0: <laughs> that's funny I love that you even talk about putting pictures in the in the newspaper like I, I don't even, like, I I- even know the last time I read a newspaper I'm like oh they still make those
1: <laughs> people are probably like yeah paper what's that <laughs> right
0: that's funny you my friend have had quite the journey so I was taking notes because I didn't want to yeah. forget to ask and I probably will anyway yeah. but so you were diagnosed in February yeah you had your, your exchange. I'm sorry, not your exchange in September. You had your, your DMX with uh reconstruction. I was called yeah. by Philip whenever we had the fills, I felt like a Chia pet. Yeah. I always felt like a Chia pet. Like, like Oh, look at me. I just got a little bit bigger. Whoop, look at me. I got a little bit bigger. Um, I didn't have that feeling of being the wind knocked out of me, but, um, I did know they were super uncomfortable and super hard. And yeah, I was cool. training. Yeah. They're, they're like big round, like like concrete balls things. (laughs) And I remember like training in the gym and like not being able to do anything, obviously, but like working with clients, I'm like, I can't, like, even now I'm like, I can't even like, like hug normally. It just feels weird. Anyway. So you're I, I wanted to go back to you asking if you had symptoms that was one of my questions but you mm-hmm. talked about after you were done breastfeeding you felt like you had calcifications mm-hmm. so was that really the only symptom that you had and I asked this because I'm such an advocate for women like yeah. I didn't have any symptoms I didn't have a lump I didn't have anything my symptoms were a feeling of anxiousness and anxiety knowing that my hormones were off so I, I'm always interested to hear yeah. um, other women's stories of you know if they had symptoms or what actually got them into the doctor right. to get diagnosed
1: in i would say in addition to that now i was i i did not mention i was becoming a principal i was actually an interim principal i had been a dean of students and our superintendent or our, the current principal at the time was becoming a superintendent and i was becoming a principal so we were both making this shift at the, at the same time so i had a lot on my plate <laughs> in addition to the cancer and um And I remember being really tired. I remember working out more than usual because I I always have been a believer that exercise gets the blood flow. I mean, it's true. Exercise gets the blood flowing. It increases oxygen circulation throughout your body, gives you more energy in the long run. And so I was working out more. I was probably actually in maybe the best shape of my life after, after I had Teague because I just worked really hard to get my body back in shape so I could feel like myself again. And so, no, I would say, um, I mean, yes, I think I was more tired than usual. And then there was a point when I just knew, I just knew. And it was in about January, mid January, I was doing an exercise, you know, the Superman, if you're on the floor and I was lifting my body up and stuff, but, and it just hurt. And then I even researched does cancer hurt? You know, something like that. Right. And it said, it said, you know, generally, no, you shouldn't really feel pain, but I did. And it was because of the way it was, um, interacting with my muscle. And so, so yeah, so I, and that was just kind of the kicker. That's when I'm like, okay, I got to make an appointment.
0: Now, did Um, you have cancer in your family to be concerned about it or?
1: Not at the time we, I had a great aunt, I guess that late age, late stage, late age. um, She had had a breast, uh, you know, or they, they caught breast cancer early. My grandma on my mom's side had colon cancer, but I mean, she was well into her seventies. So it was in a matter of just a few, six months, my dad followed me you know, with the non Hodgkin's lymphoma,
0: That's and crazy. Then,
1: then my sister's been diagnosed with the same cancer I had when they did BRCA, the BRCA uh, genetics test with me, they only had one panel of it. Um, they now have a couple, maybe two or three panels. So there were mutations that had not been discovered when I did the genetic testing. So it came back negative. There was no re and my dad never, they never tested my dad. Huh? but my sister when she was tested here 2 years uh, 2019 um hers came back positive and it came back positive it was in the second panel of the bracket uh genetics test and it was called check 2 uh c h e k with the number 2 and so then they brought me back in cuz they're like oh my gosh is this an anomaly or what um And I ended up being positive and then my dad was positive. So that means I am susceptible to a few other cancers, um, which it's colon pancreatic non Hodgkin's lymphoma. I think that's, I think those are the gist and, you know, breast cancer. So the same with my dad and my sister. And then I don't know about my, that's crazy. Yeah. My mom was negative, for any sort of, so like I thought, geez, do we have a double whammy coming from grandma? Unless it skipped a generation. I don't know if that's possible.
0: Yeah. I don't know either, but that's very interesting. That'd be interesting to kind of research. So your dad did test positive for BRCA as well, or you don't know yep. if they tested him? Okay. Yep.
1: Yeah. That, he,
0: he did later when
1: we did, they didn't test him when he was first, unless they tested him. It was the same as mine. It probably hadn't been discovered yet. That's that second mutation. I think specific. it's
0: crazy that you were having a double mastectomy and your dad was in the same hospital getting his diagnosis. So did he have symptoms? Like what, what got him to the hospital? When you say hospital getting diagnosed, I think, wow, that must be aggressive as opposed to just going to like a doctor's office.
1: Right. Um, well, I think he had been, he had probably, I'll not, I'll, the only thing I really remember from that is when we were, um, he had pain in his groin, like almost like, um, pulled muscle. Mm Mm-hmm. So I think there was a there was some like a, a lymph nodes. Maybe there was a tumor there. Huh. I can't remember. I do re- <laughs> whole I memory do, thing. <laughs> I know I do remember that we went to a water park the night before my surgery, a, a hotel water park. You know those indoor water parks. And my mom and dad were there. I'll never forget my dad, like water kind of like rushing down the slide when he was catching my kids, and he he was in a lot of pain. I, I remember that. I, so I think his started with pain and mm. maybe some fatigue.
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. So did he have to go through chemo and radiation or anything like that as well?
1: Chemo, radiation. And then um, what's that called? Where they took out his bone marrow and then they, um, it's like a bone marrow transplant. I can't think of what it's, is that what it's called? Bone marrow transplant? I anyway, that's the thing. And they, they checked to see if we were matches for him, which I think I would have been, I can't remember <laughs> <laughs> the theme. You can call this one. I can't remember, or she can't remember, but
0: the, 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 the title of this episode will be called straight talk <laughs> with Teresa Alish. I can't remember what it was about. <laughs> That's perfect.
1: Anyway. So they took out his bone marrow. They filtered out um, the bad stuff or whatever they did. And then they basically put it back in clean. And we believe they, they have said that because he used his own bone marrow, he recovered and it was more effective than using someone else's. Interesting. And it is interesting. Anyway, so he, that guy's got nine lives and he's still with us today, which was against the odds. And um, he, he's dealt with some congestive heart failure and COPD. Is that what's called? COPD yep. from smoking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's dealt with that, but he's still, he's still with us. Yeah. It runs in the
0: family being, uh, resilient. Yes. How about your sister? How is she doing now?
1: She's doing well. Um, she had a little bit of residual, uh, after her surgery. So she has to do, she's on doing this study, um, clinical trial. And, um, she, so she gets an in, I think a weekly injection of some sort that's supposed to help prevent, I I, I guess, growth or whatever. Um, I think, I mean, I think now if they were to go in and check, I think she's good, but I think because she had residual, there was a little bit of fear there. Um, So, yeah, but she's good. She's doing well. She's, she's getting back on her feet. And
0: I can't imagine having all three of you having cancer. Your poor mom must've been like, what on earth is happening i know that's yeah. crazy so uh, so many things i want so many things i want to say and i'm so adhd it's crazy um okay let's you're talk interviewing about a squirrel <laughs> i know let's see how this episode goes <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about um being aware of your body yes and exercising because you um I'm going to bring this up a little bit later, but you're trying to bridge the gap of, you know, life after cancer. So what happens after you ring the bell, I'm trying Mm -hmm. to bridge the gap of between the fitness and, um, medical professions, because there is that whole correlation of, you know, exercise is medicine, movement is medicine and all of that good stuff. But we also have something in common is neither one of us like to do medication or put anything foreign into our bodies. Mm -hmm. So I can't imagine when you talked about, you know, the red devil, like seeing that and being like, oh crap, you're gonna put this into my body? Like, this can't be good for me, but I know it's gonna help me with my cancer. Like, what was that like?
1: It was awful. I, and I remember telling my kids, um, I, the way I described it was almost like you would read in a little children's illustrated book, but like these, this little army was gonna go inside my body. And in order to kill the bad guys, it had to kill some of the good guys. And that's why mommy doesn't feel good. And that's why it's taking mommy a long time to kind of feel good again. And so, but yeah, it was a horrible feeling putting something so toxic inside Mm -hmm. my body. Um,
0: yeah. What a catch 22. That's a great way to describe it though. My plastic surgeon does a good job of describing things like that as well. He's like, imagine if you're like a little army or you're, you know, uh, army trucks, they're all lined up and going through your body. And he explains Mm -hmm. it that way. So Yeah. I appreciate those little analogies that I'm like, visually can, Mm -hmm. can see what's happening there. Um, I love that quote that you talked about from Stuart Scott. I love that one. Can you say it again? You
1: beat cancer by how you live, why you live and the way in which you live.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's, it so in lines with not only both of us, but a lot of women that I've interviewed. Um, and Mm -hmm. I am thankful again, that this is cancer, you know, national cancer survivors month. Um, so it's not just breast cancer, but the number of people that I've met, we've met, that really have taken our cancer journeys and mm-hmm. have thrived, not just sat in it and wallowed in it and been like, Whoa is me, mm-hmm. I have cancer, I'm gonna die. Because thankfully, due to so many, you know, different researches and medications and things like that, like there are so many more survivors. I think it's like 17.6 million or billion, yeah. something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That are able to celebrate this month. And um yeah. It's just, it, it's a matter. And, and like you mentioned earlier, it's not, not just cancer, 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 but any trauma or any adversities mm-hmm. that you've you know experienced in life, it's all how you handle it starting with the mindset first. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And I know that, that you and I both are on the same page with that and talking about like mindset is key to everything. Like, how are you going to take this? You know, uh-huh. um, like, Oh, okay. That's cute. Thank you. Cancer. Your job is done. <laughs> I got this, you know, like Listen, I this my book. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Check all right, fine. I'll slow down. I'll slow my roll. I'll make some changes, lifestyle changes. Right. But I, I'll take it from here. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's insane. So, um, you know, I that, quote,
1: the- that quote actually gave it freed something for me. I have a lot of survivor's guilt for those who are still fighting those with stage four or metastatic cancers who there might not be a cure or they, or, um, you know, they might not be able to go into remission or mm-hmm. what have you. And so that quote actually freed me a little bit from the guilt that I sometimes feel when I meet people who are still fighting. Um, and it just, that has always been so heartbreaking for me, but when I think about that, you know, they may still have the, the physical cancer in their body, but that doesn't mean it's got
0: their mind. Um, right. Definitely. That's a hundred percent. And in, saying survivor's guilt. I, I agree with that. You mentioned earlier about how everyone's cancer journey is different. And we've talked about that in one of Mm -hmm. our clubhouse rooms is it is different. And, you know, I don't have, I I, I hate to use the word guilt, but like, yes, my, my experience with cancer was a lot different. I'm grateful that it was caught early. Um, Mm -hmm. so I can take this movement and pay it forward to help others to kind of be their own advocate and, and really teach them the the importance of exercise to prevent cancer, but also the importance of it, um, throughout treatment. And then most importantly, to help you get back into becoming, you know, a healthier, better version of yourself. Mm -hmm. And, um, with that being said, I just scrolled out and forgot where I was going to go with that. Um, (laughs) (laughs) welcome to my brain, Um, (laughs) <laughs> but yeah, the committee. Ah, oh, that person took over. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Anyway, being it's just very important to you know really take control of your mindset in, in any situation, whether it's oh, I was talking about survivor's guilt. Like you know, I I can't even imagine like going through the chemo, the radiation, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And and I know some people, whether they're listeners or you know, life in general, are like, how are you always so positive? Why? Because it's a choice. Honestly, right. it's a choice. Yes. and. It's a choice in anything. It's a choice when I wake up in the morning. How am I how am I going to show up today? Am I going to be happy? Am I going to be miserable? Am I going to wallow in something that happened yesterday that I can't change? Yeah. Right? Absolutely. And just knowing that, you know, one of the lessons that cancer has taught us is being in the moment. And Mm -hmm. it is so important because with life, and especially, gosh, for this freaking pandemic, like it's changed so much for a lot of people. I think it's really allowed people to realize, like, whoa. I either work too much or I don't enjoy my job. Right. Um, it's time to pivot. I need to stop making excuses and take action. Um, in, in all aspects of life, not even just like with your health, but like in everything. Yeah. So, um, you actually had, okay. So you had your DMX in September. So when did you have your implants put in? Um,
1: it was about six. It was in June of that following year. So 2012, June of 2012. So a few, yeah. Okay. The after diagnosis basically, but yeah. Oh,
0: wasn't that the best getting those expanders out and having that, yeah, those implants put in. It was. Um, so you not only had your dad diagnosed the same day you were coming out of your double mastectomy um, reconstruction surgery, then you had your sister diagnosed. Yep. And well, then later. later in years, 2019, but yep. And then you also experience, oh, and plus a hysterectomy, like, yes. hello, you're 32. Like, I can't even imagine that. And you have your miracle baby. just like, I have Riley, my miracle baby. So that's, you know, a blessing, right? So, um, you continue on with your job and then what happened? You experience. um, I think you were talking about in one of our rooms, you were talking about, um, these feelings that you were having and not, not, you, you felt like you were left alone from your doctors. Yes. Like,
1: yep. So after all, and we had my, my uncle's, um, passing. So for the next couple of years, I've, i I kind of lived in a fog. Um, this is how I, I, I almost can't remember most of what happened when I think back to that time period. Um, <clears throat> and now I'm aware, I'm very aware, which is why I'm passionate about all of this, uh, about February of every year. I mean, you know, a lot of people have seasonal depression. Um, I don't know that I ever really, I think I, in my family, there's, there is depression that runs through sort of, but for me, it had been dormant, dormant up until that point. Um, and anyway, for the next couple of years, I really struggled. Although I wasn't aware I was struggling at the time. I was very, I always talk about that. I put on my Cape, I put on my mask, which, you know, that all came about in the fight you know, the, the fight you kind of, we associate the boxing gloves, we associate superheroes with cancer fighters. And I think I, I felt I needed to live up to the strength that I, I, my poise as a school principal, as a, an educational leader, um, even within my family, I didn't want anyone to know how much I was struggling, even though they probably could see it. Um, and there was a point in time and I won't go into it cause it could be a whole nother podcast. Um, Okay. I, I mean, there were there. Were, yeah, <laughs> I'm just you know putting it on the calendar. Um, Check. There, there, there was a point in time when, um, I guess, a little bit of a trigger warning, but there was there was su- suicidal ideation, and it moved from passive to active. Um, again, the the fact is is I'm here today, and um, I ended up writing a book, which is called Broken to Brave: Finding Freedom from the Unlived Life and it has a lot of meaning packed into that subtitle um, freedom from the unlived life. That was the idea. My, my book is told um, with a prison metaphor, even um, I have a chain and a lock on part of it. Um, and uh, but anyway, the, I we were talking before we got on here today and I almost need to write a follow-up book because Broken to Brave was about the cancer. It was about my dad's cancer. It was about losing my uncle. It was about the moment when I wanted to take my life. Uh, And it was about working my way back to who I am today. However, in 2019, we discovered something that um, my doctors couldn't figure out. I couldn't figure out for the longest time. Basically, I felt awful and I never quite felt good again after cancer at all. And I continued to decline, especially, um, I would say beginning around 2015, it seemed like things just were getting worse and worse and worse. And it, and it was, it was visible in my complexion. It, I had inflammation. I had autoimmune issues, like just skin breakouts. My eyes were sometimes really bloodshot or they were yellow. My face looked gray, ashen. And, um, I, uh, was in a position that I loved, at the time I became a regional administrator. I went from principal to regional administrator and four years, almost five years into that, we were to a point where I ha- I was starting to have herniated discs and my bone density was starting to decline. My oncologists could not figure out what was going on and they recommended or they referred me to palliative care. They weren't completely giving up on me, but yet that's how it felt. Um, and they wanted to basically try to just sustain my quality of life. I'm like, you know, where it was at. And I wasn't okay with that. But yet I also kind of gave in to the fact that I needed to spend whatever time I had left with my family. So I resigned from my position after a ton of discussion and contemplation. And right about the time that I resigned, my sister got onto a path and she had seen a post from, we had a um, mutual CrossFit coach, which I had been doing CrossFit for a while too. Um, she had posted about something called breast implant illness, which I had never heard of up until that point. There's, I mean, there was very little awareness initiatives out there. It was pretty tight lipped boxed, you know, Mm -hmm. kept it quiet in the medical profession. Um, and you know, since you and I have talked, you kind of have some reasons as to why that, that is occurring, but, um she had posted that she had had her implants removed and hers were for cosmetic reasons. It doesn't really matter what reason, but she had several of the issues I had. Um, and she had posted this list of symptoms and side effects, and my sister was able to check off over two-thirds of them. And then when she sent it to me, I was able to check off almost all of them.
0: Um, Can you share with the listeners what some of those symptoms are? Like I had never heard of breast implant illness until mm-hmm. I met you. And then from there, it was almost just like, I feel like everywhere I turned around, it, somebody was talking about, they had breast implant illness, including a friend of mine locally here. Yeah. And I was like, oh my gosh. And she actually you know, was thinking that she had COVID. Yeah. And so when you were talking about that, I was like, wow, that's, that's like a big thing.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's almost like, you know, those commercials where they list off all the, th- all <laughs> the things that could happen if you take this, this new medication and then even death, <laughs> but anyway, <Right>. um, <laughs> Like it it, it reads kind of like that, but it's things like um, fatigue, chronic fatigue, cognitive dysfunction, brain fog, difficulty, concentrating memory loss, muscle pain, weakness, joint pain, hair loss, dry skin, um, and hair premature aging, which you saw some pictures of me. And I, like I was probably 10 years older than I am now, several years later, um, dry eyes and I had very dry eyes, but I had also had LASIK surgery and I had dry eyes, starting with chemotherapy, chemotherapy seemed to do a number physiologically on, on things like my eyes. Um, and then I did LASIK after that because I was stubborn and I wanted to do it anyway, which (laughs) compounded the um, impact. Well, then there was also this, um, there's all like thyroid issues, whether you go the hyper or hypo, um, adrenal, estrogen, progesterone imbalance, um, acid reflux. I mean, it just goes on and on. I'm not even half, I'm not even, I'm not even a quarter,
0: a third through yeah. I Googled it myself, good yeah. old Dr. Google. And I was like, oh my gosh, do I have all that? Do I have all that? <laughs> yeah.
1: Here's I'm the scared. one. Like I, I, I under, I'll send this to you. Um, I underlined the ones I had anxiety, depression, panic attacks, feeling like you are dying. I felt like I was dying. I felt like my body was closing down, shutting down. Um, my organs were giving out that sort of thing. I felt terrible. Um, and so
0: what were your doctors doing?
1: You know, they did, they would do blood tests. They would, um, uh, they did all sorts of scans and they're like, "We we can't find what's wrong with you. We can't, we don't know you know, we don't know if your body just you're after chemotherapy, physiologically, it just can't get back to where it was, you know, I'm like, great. Is this really what life
0: is going to be? And right. I I went through all of that just to end up here and end up dying. Like what's the point?
1: Yeah. And, um, and I was eating well, I was trying to do everything you're supposed to do to be healthy. Um, and I think, if I hadn't been, I, maybe my body would have given up. I mean, I may, you know, I think that the, what I did was actually sustaining me to an extent. Um, but at, so after my sister gave me that, I just, I went on a mission. I probably, I mean, I wasn't even sleeping. I was so focused on research and I ended up making some phone calls to, um, surgeons around the country. Now, one of the reasons I did implants was because my, team recommended it. They even pushed back when I wanted to go natural and they're like, well, you're active. You know, what's going to happen is, um, necrosis. I couldn't remember necrosis of the fat, you know, it's going to die because you're so active. and, And sometimes we see this and I'm like, what? And of course, back then 2011, um, I didn't really do any further research and I don't even know if there was as much out there then anyway. Um, but they just didn't have an expert there. They didn't have someone who understood how to do uh natural reconstruction, you know, like, um, a, the abdominal flap, all, all those, there's all different
0: flap, tramp flap, flap. flap. Yeah.
1: And so I just accepted that. I'm like, fine. I'll that's, I'm good with that. Whatever you guys are the experts. Um, and, uh, hmm. I know. And so, and then they gave me, you know, the little thing you you can read about your implants, but even that didn't, that didn't say any of this stuff. That was Mm -hmm. not in that material. And my, my team definitely didn't give me this sort of a overview of what could happen because if they had, I would have known to look for it, which is why I'm so passionate about it. Right. Um, Because if I had at least known, these are some possible symptoms and why didn't they know? Why didn't that be like, oh my gosh, she's got three fourths, more than three fourths of these symptoms. Anyway. So
0: being an advocate for breast implant illness is a big deal. Um, so did you ever go back to your, your team and talk to them about this?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, I did, I I went back, just get their opinion. Do you think this is it? Do you, we don't know. There's not enough research
0: really. Thank you. And and that's the, and I think that's where the problem lies right now is there's not enough research and the doctors that are doing Mm -hmm. the implant, um, T- taking out of the implant, you know, they're not providing the necessary research and data to mm-hmm. the boards to make it more yeah. you know, prevalent. And, so, and,
1: and those who are trying to stand up, they're getting blacklisted from their peers. Um, and then money talks, you know, there's yep. people who don't want anyone to know, um, because they feel like they're going to have less work, but how about the
0: doctors that are booked out for a year to remove implants right. because mm-hmm. it's a moneymaker for them.
1: I could actually, well, and I don't know that that's my the team I ended up going to, but they are so darn busy. Uh, there's like six of them now, and um, whether they're removing implants, but they also deal with cancer, um, uh, you know, reconstruction, um, oncological type surgery. And uh, so when I made my appointment, the the doctors were like, we 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 don't have enough doctors to serve all the women coming into us. And, um, they even gave me some names to look up other doctors or surgeons. And I'm like, no, I want you. I knew I wanted them. And it's the center for restorative breast surgery out of new Orleans. Um, and they had, they actually have another procedure that they, they, what's the word coin innovated. Um, and I, I couldn't even tell you right now, I should have done a little bit of research as to what that was, but, they, after looking at my case, I sent them all my medical records because I'm like, "Please help me, just please, please, please." And um, one of them basically came in on a day that he does not work to to have my surgery within 30 days of me calling. And so they got me in, um, and I, I was so I was I was in such a bad place. I mean, you saw some of those before and after pictures. And anyway, when those implants came out, when I woke up, my husband had a hard time keeping me in bed because I felt so good. I felt like, uh, it was, it was like, it was uh, like, if you think of like a scary movie or like where there's demons or something, it's like, whatever was possessing me had been pulled out of me. The toxins. Yeah. Think of the darkness being pulled out. And, um, we even had like so the whole family was there my my kids and my husband and like we we were doing a trip to the zoo like i had to stay there for a week because they wanted to do some checks make sure everything was good because they basically took major veins or whatever and they they weave them up through my uh, you know even up through some ribs so that's what's supplying blood to keep the fat alive um so it's a pretty impressive surgery i i think uh but anyway
0: i felt so, so good did they do a fat transfer then Is that what yep. They, okay
1: yep yep that was that was wonderful um yeah right
0: <laughs> i was that like was can a, i do that again
1: that was a positive but anyway i felt so good i wanted to go out and walk and once we because we went back to the hotel after i had three nights there and then went back to the hotel for another five i think it was over a week actually i guess i had to stay and I wanted to, I mean, I went, I went to the zoo. I wanted to walk around, explore, and I ended up actually getting very sick um, because it, you know, the, there is the, the, a situation or circumstance where the the toxins kind of continue to cycle through mm. and I may have felt wonderful, but yet my body was still in a very bad place. It had a lot of work to do to get back to, to under construction stuck. again. Yep. Yep. And now I'm going blank, but by, by the, I ended up with a high fever, basically on the day we were supposed to leave. Um, it was one Oh four point like one. Yikes. And what's that called? What's that called? It's like an infection that you can get after surgery or you you can get this infection staff. That was, that was what fueled it. Anyway, I was super, super sick. I had to have like, Oh, um, I oh. blood transfusions.
0: Uh, Oh my gosh, I have it on the tip of my tongue. See, this is the episode I can't remember.
1: <laughs> this is gonna drive me crazy. Might have to cut this part. Um
0: anyway, it'll come back to you when you're in the middle of talking about something else.
1: Anyway, so I ended up back in the hospital once we got home. Um, and and part of the reason being was that um my body was just so worn out and you know, deficient that it could not fight off the infection. And so I was in the hospital, had to have several blood transfusions and, um, and yeah, but it was still, it was still, I was in this place of hope. I knew I was on the mend, um, even though basically could have died (laughs) from that situation. And yeah, um, I ended up having then a follow-up surgery a few months after that, where they just kind of, yeah, I know. I so I was back in New Orleans, and it was it was planned. It's phase two, where they kind of tighten things up, make making sure that the they had they did a scan to make sure that the blood was properly flowing and that it was um, doing what it's supposed to do to keep the fat alive.
0: Um, making, I ended up with necrosis of my right nipple, so I totally get where you're, you're coming oh, from.
1: Did you really? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. So sepsis. So, sepsis. Yep. Yep. Um Google, yeah, <laughs> it was gonna drive me nuts Thank too. You. I know I could not think. <laughs> um, and yeah, anyway, so then ever since then I've been on the mind. I did have a little bit of a backtrack here in February of this year. Um, they had certain types of sutures in there, um, braided braided sutures that were that they left there um, down in the abdomen area where they, basically they cut, I don't know what they do. I don't. <laughs> I can't even pretend. Details. Um, and, uh, I was rejecting those as well. So here's, here's where some people have breast implant il- illness. Some people don't, some are predisposed to not be able to have any type of anything inside their body. That's foreign. So I was doing the same thing. I had these like spots that were hard and a couple of them were huge. And it was basically scar tissue that was forming around these sutures. And then it was trying to push them up. So the I had these bumps on my belly that were red. And then the skin started peeling. And it would just, it's like I was... <laughs> um, like a snake shedding skin. Um, (laughs) and I sent some pictures down there to my surgeon, like, Hey, what's going on here? Do you, have you ever seen anything like this? He's like, clear your schedule. We need you down here now. I'm like, what (laughs) are you kidding me? So anyway, I went down there and, and, um, I was back in that, that state where I had an infection and I did not feel well for a few months or well, quite a while, but I, again, I just pushed through life. I don't ever stop. No, I'm resilient. not saying that right. I was, a, wasn't completely aware and it's where I have this cycle and it's where I want to help people understand if we're aware of how our, how we're feeling, like even if you did a 10 point scale on a daily basis, how am I feeling today? Mm -hmm. If you started putting all twos in every day, you'd be like, okay, there's something not right here, but if you're not aware and you're swept up in the busy, busyness of life, you might miss red flags. And so I had a massive red flag that I was ignoring because I'm stubborn, (laughs) resiliently stubborn. Uh, (laughs) And that was that I had these, the warning signs that something wasn't right again. Um, anyway, ever since then I've been doing phenomenal.
0: Well, that's good. Yeah. And you've been through a lot, my friend. Yeah. Let's talk about where people can find your book.
1: Yay. Um, it is on Amazon. That's the, that's the number one place I think. Um, you go into mean, brave. It's on Barnes and Noble too but is that uh, if that's even still out there. Everybody uses Amazon. But yeah, know, right? to brave and um it's my journey from the point of diagnosis up through when I published which was 2017 and it won an award. Um an author academy award.
0: Oh, uh, that's awesome.
1: It's in this little competition and um had to go and give a speech and um it, it was pretty, pretty sweet. It was a surreal moment. That's amazing. And then we had to get dressed up in like little ball gowns and oh, um, yeah. So it, it's not quite your big time Academy awards, but it was for authors and it was pretty sweet.
0: Yeah. And it's your story, which makes it even yeah. better. Right. It wasn't like you just wrote this, you know, storytelling fable kind right. of thing. Like it, it was, was, it was your story. So that's important and very impressive. So congratulations. Thanks. So it had to be easy for you to write your book since you are a, um, an author mentor and Mm -hmm. a writing strategist. Yes. So tell me what that, like, how long did it take you to write your book?
1: Um, so for me, that is kind of almost hard to answer that because I started writing, my students created a Facebook page for me when I was diagnosed because they wanted to be a part of my journey. Um, and so they actually created this page and I would update um, how things were going. I mean, I was at the school, but yet it was a way for them to understand what I was going through. Sure. And I was, I was, That's
0: neat.
1: yeah, I was vulnerable, but I held back a little bit, but anyway, I had those posts that I had been, <clears throat> um, putting out there from day one. And then, um, I had w- what was probably the real vulnerable stuff in journals. So I would have that. And then I would have the, the more real stuff, um, that I was, I was doing all acro- uh, through my journey. After my little, I talked a little bit about that time in my life, which was 2014 when I was, work, I, I wanted to take my life. Let's just say it. Um, I ended up starting, going into therapy after that. And it was some of the best, it was personal growth. Some of the best personal growth I've ever had. Um, this person, um, he was both a, like a career um, therapist, but he also focused on trauma. And so there was a turning point for me and I had stopped writing when my uncle passed away and I didn't realize it. It it was like, I was so out of it and he had, and it, it was a breaking point for me because I, I just buried everything and he had suggested, you know, have you ever thought about writing? And I was like, no, I, and, and yet I didn't even realize I was saying it. And he's like, you know, he kind of pushed me, why not? You know, and that's when things there was a breakthrough. Um, I realized that when my uncle passed away, writing was painful and because that's how I cope, I cope through writing most of the time and running. But, um, he, when, when that happened, I began to, I I just really, Oh no, I know. I want to say something else. I'm like, I can't write about myself. I am i can't. And I'm like, so I guess I can't do that. Let's try another activity. You know, I'm, I'm like, move along, sir. <laughs> and he goes, you don't have to write about you. You can write about someone else. I'm like, hmm. and so he encouraged me to start writing a fiction story, which I did, which I've never published. Someday I will, but I basically took this character and put her through hell because that's what I had been through. Um, And that allowed me to get to the point where I could write my own story. So in 2015 is when I joined this author program and I was going to publish my fiction story and my publisher who happened to also be a former pastor. When I started talking with him, he's like, I don't want to publish your fiction story. I want your story, you know? And and so he actually encouraged me and I'm like, "You, you don't understand. I can't write my story. And in conversations with him, he ended up, I got to the point where I'm like, okay, I can do this. So it, I actually worked, on, worked on it over about a year's time, putting it all together. For me, I had to work through a ton of stuff. Sure. Um, and I didn't even write that big part that I told you about the 2014 incident. That was the last thing. And that's what took me so long um, to actually finish my book because I couldn't write that. Once once i did i i kind of realized okay if i had followed a different process i think i could have gotten it out differently and so then i became a ghostwriter and from that experience i have helped people to kind of process those big things at the beginning of their their writing journey and um that's kind of what led me to the path of being an author mentor, because I, I, sometimes I would ghostwrite. Literally, I would write their story for them. We would interview. And then what I found is they started to really process and they took over a lot of that writing. And I thought, oh my gosh, I think there's a different way for me to work with people like that. And that's, that's how I kind of transitioned into this author mentor role and writing strategist. So that's what I, that's what I do here is help people draw out the, the best and worst of their story, but in a way that provides a roadmap for their listeners uh, or readers, not listeners. Um, and That's awesome. Yeah. It, it just helps them tell their story and, and not everybody has a massive trauma to share and they're able to process their book even, even more quickly. I mean, people can write books in all, um, you know, categories, per- Yeah. Well, periods of time, you know, for me, like I said, it took a year, but that's because I didn't have somebody nudging me along with guidance on exactly how to do that. Um, now I'm seeing people, people can write their book. I mean, I actually, one of my colleagues in that program, she wrote a book in about two weeks. Um, it was her second book because she had kind of learned the process like I did. So now you know, it just depends on how committed somebody wants to be, but they can get their book done quickly. If, if, um, they're willing to show put in the work
0: work. Mm -hmm.
1: Yep. That's with anything, right? Yep. Not just the physical writing. It's there's a little processing that has to happen inside the heart and soul.
0: I know. And I'm really excited that you're helping me write my book. So that's super exciting. So not only are you helping me write my book, we have collaborated To Mm -hmm. be able to help other people share their story, build their brand and be announced to the world. Mm -hmm. And let's, let's talk about, can we talk about that real quick? Like, let's talk about our mission, like us coming together, two survivors, thrivers, I should say, Mm -hmm. coming together. We met on Clubhouse. This is what I love. We met on Clubhouse, which is again, just a platform that is all audible. So we never even met each other face-to-face. You will not see this video right now because I don't even have my face and I haven't even showered yet
1: today. Um, I've been picking my nose.
0: (laughs) (laughs) But we met on Clubhouse and then all of a sudden, we I I said I'm breaking up with you on social media. We were we were messaging we were messaging on Instagram. I'm like, listen, I'm like, can we at this point like can we exchange like phone numbers and just text because you know I think everyone can agree social you media gets like a little that. overwhelming. I'm like I'm breaking up with you on social media. What's your phone number? We're texting, mm-hmm. and then we did, and then we just started texting, and the next thing you know, um, yeah. I was talking with you, helping you through your your pivoting time, and and we started getting involved in the speaking club and. Oh. Um, really realizing that our stories together, we are freaking badasses and we are very powerful together. And combine that with another friend that we met in clubhouse, Jennifer, um, who she's a brand strategist. um, Mm -hmm. We said, Oh my gosh, we have something here. And me, you know, being my, my background, being in the corporate world of business development and my SOS framework of, you know, yeah. Systems, organization, structure, like mm. tying this all together has been magical. So, those of you that are listening, the three of us, Thrivers, came together. We met on Clubhouse, came together to put together this amazing program called the Thrivers Business Academy. Ah. Right? It's yeah. 12 weeks, and you can take your story, build a brand from your story, and launch that to help others and leave your legacy. Like yeah. how amazing is that? Because everybody has a story. It could be how you overcame whatever adversity you had in life. It doesn't have to be cancer. It doesn't have to be breast cancer. It could be abuse. It could be, you know, just low self-esteem. It could be, you know, something in the corporate world that, you know, you just whatever, but with the help of Teresa, being able to write your book for you and Jennifer being a brand strategist and me being a business strategist, like we put it all together together to help you launch that and even create a program from it. So that's pretty exciting. The Thrivers Business Academy, who knew? Thank you, Clubhouse. I
1: know, I know. and did you say in that, um, that, they would, that they're would that they going to write their book? Did you say that?
0: No, why don't you yeah. tell them about how you're gonna do that?
1: Absolutely, you're gonna write your book. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's oh, awesome, and it, um, I'm going to help you through from ideation of of what your book concept would be, what your title might be, what your how your table of contents would look, all the way through uh, laying it out and telling your story. Maybe it's you want to be creative, but but the number one I, I like to say it's my superpower, but it's it's writing like you speak. Um, there there are still people who who try to kind of write more formally but, but that doesn't help people connect. And what your, your whole goal, your whole mission is to have the, have that reader feel like they're the only one that, that you're talking to. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that book, you will have best friends when they read your story. Um, when they go to write and leave you reviews, they're going to say how they felt like you were talking just to them. And to me, that is, if you can accomplish that, it doesn't matter what you write. Um, it's, it's how it makes someone feel.
0: Yeah. That's why, that's why I like to do my podcast that way too. Just like, just have a conversation and and relate to that person. And you know, I'm not going to be for everyone. You're not going to be for everyone. And that's totally fine. It's about finding your tribe. And you know what, let's say
1: um, you're like, you know, I don't know that I I have a business book in mind. That's okay. Part of, part of your story is, is your legacy, whether it's for your family or um, yourself. I mean, just that, I mean, when someone writes a book, the feeling of completing that, I can't even describe to you the accomplishment. Um, it's, it's not an easy, easy thing. Well, actually I, I feel like I make it easy, but you know, it's, it's a challenge to actually put together how, how your story would come out. And if you are doing it, even if you aren't doing for business, I mean, my book's not entirely for my business, but it adds a lot of credibility behind my name. Um, and there is a little bit of a roadmap I've left. I mean, I ask questions at the end of the chapter to get people to process things, um, to, to process their own life, to try to get them to live in the present. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so it, it's just, it's it it helps increase your level of authority out there um, because a book is like a, a business card. It's, it's wonderful. And it's mm-hmm. a lead magnet for you. Even if it has nothing to do with your business at the moment, it's a bonus that you can give the people who are going through your programs or or when you offer your service, whatever that might be, there's so much that you can do with your book. It's exciting. It gives me goosebumps. And I just can't wait to help these people who are coming through our program um, realize. Very exciting.
0: It's so exciting. I know. It's just another way of being able to give back and be able to help change the world. And and let somebody to, you know, yeah. be in charge of their life. Like I got this your book
1: can change a life, right? Yes. Even if you're not trying to, to leave a roadmap, your story might inspire someone mm-hmm. to do something a little bit differently with their life because they've learned through your story. Oh my gosh. Yep. Absolutely.
0: So mm-hmm. awesome. So amazing. See how awesome. So I see how excited, why I was so excited to have Teresa on as a guest today.
1: No. And if you guys are still with us, wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible because uh, I sometimes get a little windy and then I I go looking for nuts because I'm a squirrel and who knows what's coming next. And my dog has not passed gas during this (laughs) entire interview. (laughs) My dog has a massive problem, you guys. I don't know if you have pets, but they are worse than humans.
0: Oh my gosh, so funny. (laughs) So we both are on a mission to change the world. We're both on a mission to educate other people especially women to be their own. I mean, men too, but everyone, you need to be your own advocate for your own health journey. Yeah. Nothing against medical professions. They go to school to be doctors to solve problems for symptoms that are provided to them. That doesn't mean that they're doing something wrong because they didn't know about your breast implant illness. There's right. just not enough research on it. Right. But that's not their specialty. Yeah. So and if they, they, would,
1: move on. they have to go on to their next fighters.
0: Yeah. And then same thing with exercise. You know, they don't go to school for nutrition and exercise. They go to school specifically for, I have a problem. What's the medication to go with it? Boom, done. Yes. So nothing wrong with them, but that's what we're trying to do. Excuse me. That's what Teresa and I are trying to do is bridge that gap. Yep. You know, hers is life after cancer. What happens after you ring that bell? Mine is okay. What happens after you You know, get told, okay, you're, you're free to go, but okay like how do i lift my arms again and you know how do i get back to my exercise routine and how do i keep my mindset positive and focused and am i always going to be worrying about cancer all the time and it's all those things like for me mindset is number one foundation mm-hmm. so i love that what is one last thing cuz you covered a ton like what is one last thing that you would like to leave with the listeners
1: Ooh. well one piece know, of advice i don't think i said this before but um you know, there, we, there's awareness. I mean, I said it in, in, in my story, but not this way. There's awareness that, um, that you should always be, oh gosh, what am I trying to say? Awareness of prevention, prevention of cancer. There's awareness about detection of cancer. There's awareness of someone, uh, cancer, sur- um, fighters in the midst of battle,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: there is not awareness of what happens after cancer. Right. And, I, um, I am all about, I mean, broken to brave, finding freedom from the unlived life. The fact is, is for several years, I was not living life. I was, I was caught up in this vicious cycle. And for a second, I want everyone to just think about this. You know, how often are you aware of the mental chatter? And what that mental chatter is doing is either helping you or hurting you. If it's hurting you, what it's doing is causing you or forcing you or pulling you to worry about all the things you didn't get done yesterday or all the things you haven't gotten done yet today or or the way you could have handled a conversation differently. It's It's got you focused on the past. It's got you regretting typically, regretting. Unless you're appreciating, that's different. That's positive mental chatter. That's mental chatter that's serving you, helping you. Um, but then there's the opposite end, and that is your future worry. If you are, if your mind and your mental chatter are constantly focused on, oh, my gosh, what if I'm not ready for my presentation later? Oh, my gosh, I don't want to talk in front of these people. Or, oh, my gosh, I don't think I can have this conversation with my husband. Or, oh, my gosh, um, you know, you can fill in the blank, all the things we worry about. I, oh, my gosh, I've got so much to do today. I'm never going to get it done. Negativity. Don't let your voice be negative. So I want you to get out of your past, get out of your future and put your body and your mind in the same place at the same time. And that is in the present, because if you can be in the present, then you can find gratitude. You can, you can appreciate, and you can learn lessons about what you might not have done before, because you're looking at it from a different angle. So that was a really long, long winded way to leave a last thing. but it is 100% what I want people to really focus on.
0: Yeah. And it's very, 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 very important. And I am appreciative and grateful for you for number one, meeting you on clubhouse number two, for us being like-minded individuals to be able to collaborate together. And number three for, I mean, being here and taking the time out of your day, to have this interview. I, I love it. And I think I'm hoping that the listeners listen all the way through because this is longer than my normal podcast, but it was super, super, super important information. And I really want people to go out there and get your book on Amazon broken to brave. We'll put the link into the show notes as well.
1: Thanks. And,
0: uh, listen, if you are looking to go ahead and write yourself a book. You can contact us at shannonbrose.com forward slash drivers business academy. Um, you can find Teresa on Instagram. I will put her handle in there as well. And, uh, and if she's inspired you somehow, some way, reach out to her and tell her, you know, hey, thanks for, thanks for the podcast and, you know, interview and information. I appreciate it. Or, uh, hey, I've read your book. It's awesome. Um, so yeah, get you out there. And hey, sure. maybe, maybe I'll get someone to, to help write a book with, right? Yes. I hope so. That's, that's, that's what I would love more than anything. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, thank you so much, Teresa, for being here. I appreciate you, your time and, um, yeah. Amazing podcast. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this week's episode has somehow changed your life with a smile. As a reminder, as we said, the doors are open for Thrivers Business Academy and we start on June 14th, but if you can't make, if you can't make it then We have another one coming up. Don't you worry. So if you want to join us, head over to shannabros.com forward slash Thrivers Business Academy. And if you're looking for guidance through your breast cancer journey or looking to create your lifestyle by design, but you don't know where to start, come join me at shannabros.com and let's chat until next week, live well, laugh often, and love much.